I want to invite you to go ahead and take out your Bible and turn with me this morning to the book of 1 Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians, find chapter 2. As you're turning, um, I want to remind you of a couple things about missions conference in this week and what's been happening uh, over the last couple weeks. The last couple weeks, there has been um, some sheets available on the table for Great Commission giving. They look like this. They are a green piece of paper with a white little tear-off bottom. And uh, I want to give you a little update of what has been happening uh, in Great Commission giving. I want to put up a slide here for you to see the opportunities. Go ahead, guys. Next slide of what God has been doing through your investment this past year. You can see there on the slide that this past year we've been able as a church to make investments to all the following global opportunities. And uh, it's been so exciting to see what God is doing, not just here at Catawba, what God is doing through Catawba in other places around the world. And uh, last year, we had a goal of $25,000 that we would give toward missions. And uh, we're so excited to tell you, as of the second week in September, we are right at $24,703, all right? Praise the Lord. So, so we are on target uh, to meet our goal. In fact, we probably already exceeded it, and we just don't know it yet. And, uh, but so we're so excited. And that 25000 does not include a special uh, one-time designation the Finance Committee made earlier this year uh, out of our surplus of funds for $5,000 to go to missions. And so really, uh, this year we've been able to see $30,000 uh, from our church go directly to the work of World Missions. And uh, that is happening through, yeah, praise the Lord. That's exciting. Man, that's really exciting given where we were just five years ago. In fact, when you think about where we were when we started, uh, before we started missions, conferences, and everything, um, I think we started somewhere around the five or $6,000 market. Don't hold me to that, but I, I seem to remember that's where we were. And then to see just five years later uh, what we are giving towards. And here's the reality. Those are not, yes, they're numbers, but behind those numbers represent, go back to that first slide, guys, of all the different mission opportunities for the year. Those dollars are directly impacting different uh, people and places, our, our mission staff, they're impacting missions training, they're going for things like mission scholarships. This past year, we were able to give scholarships to eight people in our church to go on a short-term mission trip. You can see our cooperative efforts and our partnerships. And, uh, and so you say, well, what does that mean? Well, it means that this is directly connected to what we're going to talk about uh, this morning here in First Thessalonians. What we believe here at Catawba is that all of us have a responsibility to the Great Commission. And in fact, all of us have a responsibility to missions. And, and, and missions is more, what we've been talking about this week is that missions is more than a message. That's what we're going to focus on this morning. It's what we're going to be looking at in every session that we're together. It's, it's that missions is more than a message. And it, and it is this, that what we believe is that when we give and we partner together in what God is doing, here's the reality. Uh, it, it's amazing to see what can happen collectively when a group of people come together on a collective uh, thing. And so, you know, to think about $25,000 going to different missionaries or places or, or people, that would have never been possible with just one of us. But, but together, as we give to the Lord, 
Paul says, it's not that I seek the gift, but the fruit that goes to your credit. And so really we call this investment because that's what we believe here. Uh, we, we, we believe that we as a church are making eternal investment in uh, not only just the lives of our, of our mission staff or those that experience, but, but those who are hearing the gospel and, and that those who are, who are taking the gospel uh, to people who are least have, have the least access to the gospel. And so if you are a great commission giver, can I just say thank you? Thank you for your investment this year. Thank you for partnering together with us. And, and, and if this is new to you or you would like to become a part of this, there are cards on the table in the back. There are cards here on the side. Pick up one of these. Pray this week what God would lead you to give to World Missions this year here at Catawba and, and that God would use your life in that way to have a personal, tangible a part of being involved in global missions. And you can fill that out on the bottom. This is an arrangement between you and the Lord. The only reason we're asking for this is so that our missions committee can know how to plan for the forthcoming year. And, and by God's grace, uh, every year we've grown in our missions giving. By God's grace, we want to grow this year. And, uh, and we want to come alongside. Um, and, and the thing that our missions committee is really working through right now, and you can be praying for us that God would give us wisdom, is, 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 is our, our desire here at Catawba is that we would, in all of our mission staff, that we would be significant partners and that, and that we would deepen our relationship with, with those that God has already brought in contact with us as a church that we would take our relationship with them deeper. And that's not just financial. That's, that is relational. That is in our prayer support. That is in every way that, that, that God would help us to be a significant partner in, in the ways that we're already involved. And so uh, by God's grace, like I said, we are trusting that, that this year we can grow in our missions giving, uh, really grow in our missions investment. And, and like I said, this is the most exciting week of the whole year. Some of you don't seem so excited about Missions Conference. Uh, but I'm telling you, here's the thing. This should be the most exciting week of the year in the life of our church because, because this is what the church is all about. The church is all about making disciples. The church is all about reaching people for Christ. This is really, missions is the engine of a local church. And so if a church is not involved in missions, if, if somehow they're gathering and doing all these things, but they're not obedient to the great commission of what God had command, commanded and mandated to his church to do, then, then we're missing out on, 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 the, on the fullness of what God wants us to experience. I want to find out this morning, just to kind of survey the landscape, who are the veterans in the room? How, how many of you, you remember being at the very first missions conference of Catawba Valley Baptist Church back in 2019? The theme was our window to the world. How many of you were there and you've been at every conference since then? Can I see your hand? Hold them up real high. Oh, look, there's only a few of you veterans. All right. How many of you, this is your very first missions conference at Catawba Valley? Can I see your hand? All right, a few of you, all right? And so um, I say that because here's the thing. You don't have to be at Catawba any length of time to discover that, that this is a mission-minded church. You don't have to be here any length of time to, to recognize that we believe that God's heart is for all nations. And we desire to be a church that has a heart for all nations because we believe that missions is our responsibility, uh, we believe that missions is the responsibility given to the local church. Jesus said, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole 
of creation. And so what we believe here, and I, I don't think you have to be at a missions conference to have heard this, but, but we believe that, that, that this commission that Jesus gives us to go into all the world and to proclaim the gospel to the whole creation is, is a commission that Jesus, the risen Lord Jesus Christ, who has all authority, he has given not just to a select few, but God has given that commission to every believer. Turn to your neighbor right now and tell him it's for every believer. It's for every believer. Here, here's the reality. Every one of us have a responsibility to the Great Commission. Every one of us have a responsibility to the mandate of Christ. What we say here at Kataba is that we exist as a church to glorify God by developing disciples who love God, love people, and here's the key, influence the world with the hope of the gospel. You say, how are we doing that? Well, we're doing that not only by our lives. Jesus says, go. Literally, that translation is, as you're going, make disciples. As you're going, in every part of your life. And so what we believe here is that every one of us have a responsibility to missions that as we're going, but also we have a responsibility in how we send as a local church. You know, here at Catawba, we refer to our missionaries, our missionary partners, and everything that we've committed long-term relationship with, we call them our mission staff. You say, why do we do that? Because we consider them to be a part of us. We, we, we consider them to be a part of our family, even though many of these people, like the archers who are coming this week, have another home church, and they have other partnerships and other relationships. What we're saying is, no, but you're a part of us, and we have, we have brought you in uh, to, to be a part of our family, that, that, that you're on international assignment with us, and, and that missionaries are not here uh, for us to just support their work. Missionaries are here that as we partner together, they're helping us do our work. Because Kataba has a responsibility. God has mandated the church to go into all the world. And so how do we influence the world with the hope of the gospel? It's as we're going, but it's also in how we're sending. And those that we send, that as they help us as a church be faithful to do what God's called us to do. Can I, just, can I say, we would all probably this morning say that there is a great urgency to the Great Commission. Would you say that? Would you say that there is an urgency to the Great Commission, there's an urgency to sharing the gospel. Yet for many of us, we just feel this tension of just trying to do life. And I don't know about you, but, but it just seems as if there are these endless to-do lists. There are these constant deadlines. There are frequent errands. There are uh, this perpetual rushing, and it's taking kids from one thing to the next thing. You got housework. You got maintenance. You got activities. You got family gatherings. You got family trips, and, and you're just trying to capture the memories. And some of us are living a rhythm. You know, we've been talking the last number of weeks about rhythm. Some of us are living a rhythm that is really unhealthy spiritually unhealthy we're headed for a spiritual burnout and yet some of us have just accepted that rhythm as a new normal but see as God's people if we forget why God has saved us then we will then we'll forget the reason for which he has saved us you see God has called us to himself 
And that when we come to Christ and we embrace the gospel, the good news in Jesus Christ, we realize that God has saved us, but in saving us, God has called us to be sent out. God saves us and he redeems us for a purpose. God God saves us for a mission that as we go into all the world, we might proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. And we do that as we are doing life. You see, some of us, we, we think that these things are in conflict with one another, and, and, and we say, well, yeah, there's an urgency to the gospel, but, but I'm just not really passionate about that. I'm not really involved in that because I'm just trying to live life. But you see, you're missing it. Because if you understand the purpose of why God saved you, if you understand the purpose of what God is doing in your life, you would understand that God is calling you to be a part of his mission. And yet some of us, here's the reality, some of us are losing sight of why we're here. Some of you have lost sight of it. You don't even know why you're here. And here's the problem. If you begin to divorce the reality of the gospel message of what Jesus has done in your life from the responsibility of making disciples, you will live so short of the life that God intends for you to live. You see, the reason God has called you to himself is that you might know his fullness. You might know his joy. You might become like him in his holiness. God's called you to himself so that your life could be transformed. But your life is not an end to itself. Your life is there to to make disciples and to impact other people. It's staggering to me how in the church we can divorce the ideas of what we say from really how we live. And we're all okay with it. Missions is more than a message. Missions is more than a message. And I want you to understand, this week, if you're here, it is not just about what we say. Some of us, we, we, and and we'll talk about this this week, we we can say a lot of good things. But but if our life is not matched what we're saying, if, if our life does not reflect us doing the things that we say we care about, then there's a great divorce in our life there's a great disconnect in our life and we're living short of what God has intended for us and so I want you to see this morning first Thessalonians chapter 2 beginning in verse 1 we're going to read together this is Paul's letter to a church would you stand with me as we read beginning in verse 1 first Thessalonians chapter 2 beginning in verse 1 we're going to read down through verse 12 we're going to read this so you get the context but we're really just going to be centered in a few verses this morning Paul says, For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain, though we had already suffered and had been shamefully treated at Philippi. As you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak. Not to please men, but to please God who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed, for for God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So, being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also of ourselves, because you had become very dear to us. 
For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day, and we that, that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you as believers. For you know how like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. Four times in 12 verses, Paul is referring to the gospel. You say, what is the gospel? The gospel is the good news of Jesus Christ. The gospel is the, and the most amazing news in all the world that sinful people like you and I can be made right with the holy God. It is the good news that Jesus Christ loved us even while we were yet sinners. The Bible says Christ came and he died for us and he gave his life for us and he laid down his life. Jesus says, no man takes my life from me, but I lay it willingly down of my own accord. He has the power over life and death. And as Jesus goes to the cross, he goes as the lamb of God the sin, to, to bear the sins of the world. The Bible says the sins of the world were placed on him and that Christ, he, 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 he sacrificed himself. He gives of himself. He bears your iniquity and my sin on that cursed tree. And the Bible says he was buried, and three days later he rose again. He defeated death in the grave. He is the king of life. He is the king over life and death. He is the Lord of lords, the king of kings, and he ascended to the Father. He, he was given authority over everything. And, and then the Bible says that today he lives to intercede for you and I. You see, that is the gospel. That is the message, and that is a message that I need to be reminded of every day of my life. Don't ever let that grow cold. Don't, don't, don't ever let that reality somehow be diminished. You see, the gospel is so critical, and Paul here four times in 12 verses is talking to this church about the gospel. He says the gospel is what makes all the difference. Notice, look down in your Bible, verse 1. Notice how Paul describes his ministry. He says, for you know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in what? What's the last word? It was not in vain. Let me ask you a question. What made the Apostles Paul trip in ministry right here in Thessalonica worthwhile and not worthless? Someone tell me. What made his trip worthwhile and not worthless? Because Paul says, hey, you know our coming to you was not in vain. It wasn't worthless. So what made Paul's trip worth it? Someone tell me. What made it worthwhile? What made it worth everything? His afflictions, his suffering, his persecutions, all those things. What made it worthwhile? Because of what? Because, yeah, they had come to know the gospel, right? Uh, the, the gospel is worth it. What Paul is saying here is that the gospel is worth it. In spite of everything that he had to endure, he, 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 you, we're going to look this morning at some of the things that Paul experienced in his missionary journeys. And, and, and what we come away with is this, this amazing reality. Paul could go through all of those tremendous sufferings and he could come to the other side of it and he says, but it was worth it. It wasn't in vain. It, it was worth it. Why? Because the gospel's worth it. Turn to your neighbor and tell him the gospel's worth it. 
it's worth it. Paul is telling us here, notice the gospel is worth it. Some of you think about the whole course of your life for just a second. What would it be like for you today to, to have lived and grown up as a teenager and went off to college and earned a degree and got married and had kids and, and, and started a business and, and were just fruitful in all those things and, and come to the end of your life and, and died and only to find out that everything that you had done was worthless. In light of eternity, it really didn't matter. And Paul says, I don't want to live a life that's worthless. I, I, don't want to, I don't want to sow and reap and do all these hard things to come to the end of my life to find out that I invested in the wrong thing. Paul says the thing that matters is the gospel. The gospel matters. And here's what he's telling us. He's, he's saying that in light of that, the king is returning. The gospel matters. And so we come to this particular passage. And what we find here is that this is a letter from a missionary to a church. And there's a lot of things happening in the background of this letter that we're not really aware of unless you were to study it. But what we discover is we need to understand a little bit of the context of what's happening here because if we don't, we're missing really what Paul is saying. If, if we don't understand the context of what Paul and his missionary team had just been through, we, we seem to not have the appreciation for what fully happens here in Thessalonica. Like I said, Paul is a missionary. He's a missionary of the Lord Jesus Christ. He had been commissioned by Jesus. He is Paul of Tarsus. He, he is a missionary called by God to the Gentiles and the great ambition of his life Paul says the great ambition was to preach the gospel not where Christ had been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. If you were to go to the Apostle Paul and say, Paul, what makes you tick? Why are you doing the things that you're doing? He would say something like this that he tells us in Romans, so that those who never heard and have never been told of him may see and that those who have never heard may understand. You see, that's the mission of the Apostle Paul. Paul became one of the greatest missionaries the church has ever known. He went through the known Roman Empire, preaching the gospel, establishing churches, strengthening and encouraging the people of God. And in those missionary journeys, one of the places Paul finds himself is the city of Thessalonica. And if you have your Bible, you can look back in the book of Acts, chapter 17. There you can find just how Paul's trip in Thessalonica went. Now, Thessalonica is a city in Greece. It was an actually large city by the time Paul and his missionary companions make it there. And, and we read in Acts 17 that when Paul and them arrived in Thessalonica, they, on three different Sabbaths, would attend the Jewish synagogue. They would go there teaching, preaching about Christ during the week. Paul and his team would work in their trades, making tents. And the reality that we come across is that in the book of Acts, we're told that there are some who believe, but there were some who were upset. There were some who were, who were not happy with what Paul was preaching, and so they began this riot. And we don't really know how long Paul is in Thessalonica. All we know is that he's there a relatively short amount of time, maybe three weeks. And so what do we have here? We have this letter from a missionary to one of his churches. And, and, and Paul, in chapter 1, he's 
just celebrating the gospel. He's talking about how he's thankful for the people. He's thankful for their response to the gospel. He's, he's thankful that in many ways they have become a model church. You see, the church in Thessalonica was a, a very dear church to the Apostle Paul. Paul had a deep love and a personal affection for these people. And in chapter 2, what's happening is he's sending this church that has supported him a letter, and he is giving them a ministry update. You know, we have those here this morning. If you were to go out in the hallway, you can grab some letters from some of our mission staff and read some of their ministry updates. Well, here in Thessalonians chapter one, 2, we have Paul giving a missionary update. And what is he saying? There's a couple things that he says. You see, he's writing to this church because he's been under such hard criticism. There had been people that were saying this of the Apostle Paul. They were saying that Paul was in the ministry for his own personal gain. And, and in conflict of that, Paul writes this letter to in some way silence the opposition because he says, I'm not concerned about their approval. All that matters is that God's approved of me. You see, Paul understood his assignment. He understood that God had called him, that God had commissioned him. At the end of the day, he stands and he gives an account before God, not to men, but Paul understands this. He understands that if somehow people are going to discredit him, that inevitably it would lead to discrediting the gospel. And Paul does not want that. And so he says, notice in verse 1, look at your Bible. He says, for you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. Uh, this, wasn't, this wasn't a worthless trip. Paul says it mattered. The gospel matters. It matters that we came to you. But though, notice in verse 2, but though we had already suffered and have been shamefully treated at where? Where were they shamefully treated? Someone tell me. Philippi. So once again, like there's more context unraveling in the story. What do we discover? We find out that Paul and Silas, they had been preaching the gospel in Philippi. And if you remember the story, an angry mob sees them, they attack them, they beat them, they drag them, they beat them with rods, and then they are imprisoned. How about that for Soul Winning Day? And while they're in prison in Philippi, you remember the story? God miraculously comes and delivers them out of jail. And the Philippian jailer, you remember him? He gets saved. And Paul and Silas, after that, they leave Philippi and they make their way to Thessalonica. Now, I just, come on. Sometimes we can just like gloss over what's happening in the story. Picture what's happening here because it matters in light of what Paul's going to say. Paul says, we were just recently at Philippi. We were preaching the gospel. The gospel matters. We're proclaiming the truth of God. We're doing it in spite of all this opposition. We were, we were mistreated. We, we were dragged. We were beaten with rods for proclaiming Christ. We, we find ourselves in prison for preaching the gospel. And that's where we had just been in Philippi a few days later. I mean, you think about it, after they were miraculously delivered from prison that night, and then they start making their way to Philippi, you, you honestly, uh, or Thessalonica, you, you often wonder, like, did Paul say to Silas, man, it's about time we start getting a different job. But is that what he says? No. <laughs> no. Paul, Paul tells us, notice at the end of verse 2, he says, he says, you know the boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. 
I mean, come on, think about that. If that had just happened to you, if you had just suffered reproach for the name of Christ, if you had just been beaten and imprisoned for your faith, would, would, would you just the very next day get up and go and head into another city with the same message? Is that what you would do? How many of you say, I might take a few days off? No, not Paul. Paul, commissioned by God, goes into the next town. He arrives at Thessalonica, and Paul says, but we had already suffered and have been shamefully treated. But, but, but Paul says, notice verse 2, but we had boldness in our God. Notice, where did Paul's boldness come from? From where? From the Lord, from God. You know, some of us think that Paul was a really, like, man's man, dude's guy. You know, he He was. But some of us somehow have this picture that Paul is unrelatable to us. I just look right up here for a second. Uh, Paul was just like you and I. Paul was a missionary with human emotions. Paul understood fears. Paul understood intimidation. He was like just he was just like you and me. Paul knew what it was like to feel intimidated. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians that when he came to Corinth, he came with much fear and trembling. You know, some of you want to reach out to your coworkers, and we're talking about taking the gospel to all nations, and some of you have a hard time striking up a gospel conversation at work. Paul knew what it was like to fear the fail of that, the fears of that. In Ephesus, the Bible says there were fightings without, but Paul says there were fears within. But you know what made all the difference in the life of the Apostle Paul? Was his boldness. He says our boldness was in God. God's the one that gave us confidence. Paul says the reason we were able to, to leave our suffering in Philippi and come to Thessalonica and to declare the gospel to you in spite of everything that had just taken place was because of the boldness in our God. You see, what makes the difference in your life, Christian, is whether or not you're looking to God more or you're looking to yourself more. If you're looking to God more, then you'll discover that he is sufficient, that he is all-powerful. Like, if he is on your side, then who can hinder? But if you're looking to yourself, and if you're looking to your own security, and you're looking to your own joy, and you're trying to do life on your own terms, what you're going to discover is that you're going to be increasingly not courageous for the faith of Jesus Christ. You see, the difference in the Apostle Paul's life is that he cared far more what God said. He was looking to God for his confidence rather than someone else for his security or someone else for his joy. But see, that's the problem for many of us. A lot of us today just do not know God. Our confidence is not in the Lord. Our confidence is in something else. And so because of that, we're afraid. Because of that, we're timid. Because of that, our, our, our joy and our security seems to just be lacking. And here's the thing. In the book of Acts, get this. We know that Paul was in Thessalonica for only like three weeks. And yet, he developed one of the deepest relationships in those three weeks with those believers than almost any other church he had been in. I mean, Paul had been in Corinth for three years, but Paul doesn't talk about the Corinthian church the way that he talks about the church in Thessalonica. Paul loved these people. They were new believers, and he developed this deep relationship with them. Notice verse 8. This is how you see it. 
So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but here's the key, of also our own selves. You see what Paul's saying? He says when we came to proclaim the gospel, the gospel is more than a message. Paul says we came to proclaim more than a message. We came to proclaim not only the gospel of God, but also of ourselves. Look at me right here this morning, friends. It is one thing to say that we're a mission-minded church. It is one thing to say that we're involved in missions. It's one thing to go on our website or to go down our hallway or to look at in, in our, the things that we do and say, oh, wow, it looks like Kataba has a right message. It looks like they're proclaiming the right thing. But here's the reality. You can proclaim the reality of the gospel and not actually embrace it. We can talk about making disciples and not make disciples ourselves. You see, we can fool ourselves into thinking that by having the right message, somehow we have the right lifestyle. But here's the reality. Missions is far more than information. Missions is about sharing your whole life. Paul says, so being affectionately desirous of you, you see this love that he has for these people, people that he's only been with three weeks. And Paul says, but being affectionately desirous of you, Paul says, we desired to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also of ourselves. There's this word affectionately desirous. It's this, it's, it's this idea that, that, that you just have this deep desire to be with somebody until you're discontent that you can't be with them any longer. You know, you're just, you, you just want to be reunited. You just want to be together. Like, I remember, like, like when my wife and I were engaged, um, she was at school when I was working, and we were four hours apart and, like, two states away, and, like, there's that effectual desire to, like, see her. And I'm just not content until I see her, you know? That's what Paul's talking about here. Question, do you have that attitude toward our missionaries? Do you have that attitude toward our mission staff? Like, Paul's talking about a church here that supported him. He said, man, I just have a desire to, like, be with you. I'm discontent that, that, that we're not able to be together. Do you have that attitude toward our missionaries? Notice, this, this word here is being effectually desirous is in this present tense. It's not that I, I desired you at one time. It's this ongoing thing. Man, I, I just want to be with you again. I want to reconnect. I want our life to, to overlap. I, I, want, I, I, I want to put myself in the intersection of our life together. How are we doing in that? How are we doing that with our mission staff? How are we doing that in our, with our missionaries who are serving around the world? Or do you have a desire to see them when they come to conference and then you're like, hey, see you in four years later? Or, or do you have a relationship with them? Are you inter intricately invested into their life? You see, one of the things as, that we want to do this year as a missions committee is we want to take all of our mission staff and, and break it up into more manageable care teams to where those in our congregation might get to know these people on a deeper level, on a more faithful level, on a more personal level. Because here's the reality. You won't pray for somebody you don't know. You won't be invested in the life of somebody and, and in their joys and in their sorrows if you're not 
if you don't have a relationship. And Paul says, look, we're affectionately desirous of you. We, we, we want to be together. This word in first century was used in, in a couple different ways. One was it would often be used in first century as parents would put this word on the headstone of their children. It was this, it was this picture that, that their children had passed before them and they had this deep desire to be reconnected. It's like they had gone too soon. They, they just wanted to hold them in their arms again. I just want to be with you. I just want to be reconnected. That's the picture there. Affectionately desirous. It was also a picture of mothers. It's what Paul uses in this passage here of a, of a mom and this connection with that newborn baby. I, I remember seeing that in the hospital with Jessica and Ashlyn. And, 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 and those of you who are moms, there's this something about the bond between a mother and her child. Especially like right after birth, there's just like <laughs> nothing can separate them, right? Like that baby is not content with anybody else, just mom. Why? Because there's that deep connection. And Paul says, hey, church, listen. We were, we were deeply desirous. We, we had this deep desire to be with one another. You see, what, what this word is telling us is that it's more than just an inward desire. It's, it's in the middle voice, which means it's a willful action that matches it. It motivates us to do something about it. It's not just that we're content to say that, man, we have a desire to be together. It, it's that we're willing to do something about it. And the reality in light of us today with our mission staff and our missionaries is, is, is saying, hey, Kataba, let's not just talk that we have missionaries and mission staff and work and involvement, but, 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 but how are you working to know them? How are you working to build into one another in your life? You know, there are some people in this room that I know that do that. I've heard that not from you, but from our missionaries. And they will tell me of people in this church who will message them regularly and connectedly, and that means so much. And it doesn't mean that you have to do it with all six, but are you doing it with any? Are you, are you personally involved in the life of one of our missionaries? Do you have this attitude that Paul had for this church? And he said, man, being effectually desirous of you, we just want to put our life in connection with one another. I, I want to know what's happening with what's been going on. You know, Paul says, we ought to be rushed out of the city in Thessalonica because of persecution. And he's like, man, I just, I just want to know how you are. I, I, just want to, I just want to be reconnected with you. He says, notice, because being notice desirous of you, notice what he says he says, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also of ourselves. I can't tighten my pants too tight because of uh, surgery. All right? Paul says, uh, we want to share with you not only the gospel, but notice what he says, but of ourselves. How eager are you to share your life with someone else? You know, some of us have been hurt by people. And when you're hurt by somebody, you're, you instantly start putting up these bricks and wall of self-preservation. You say, I'm not going to expose myself that way anymore. I'm not going to be hurt that way anymore. But Paul says, no, that's not how we were. 
Paul says, we came to you having just gone through persecution in another city. And when we showed up in Thessalonica, we weren't like, oh, man, we've just been burned. Let's not let that happen again. Paul says, no, man, we were ready to share with you of ourselves. We were ready to share with you of ourselves. Not just the gospel, but of ourselves. You see, here's, that's, the, that's the challenge for all of us in our soul winning. You see, there, there are some of us that are like, hey, I'm good to give the gospel to somebody. I'm good to talk about Jesus, but wait a minute, you want me to get involved with them in a relationship? You want me to get involved in a discipling relationship? Like, you want me to get vulnerable and honest and, and talk about my own personal struggle? You want me to talk about myself? Oh, I don't know about that. Like, here, I'll just give them a verse. Like, I'll give them the gospel. I just don't want to give them of myself. And some of you are like the others. You're like, hey, man, I, I'll have a relationship with anybody. We'll talk about anything. Oh, wait, you want me to talk about the cross? I'm not sure that's going to go over well. Wait, you want me to talk about Jesus? I'm, I'm, not, sure, I'm not sure they're going to like that. And Paul says, no, 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 no. We were ready to share with you the gospel of God and of ourselves. You say, Why? Why? Paul says, we were ready. We took great delight in giving you the gospel and giving you ourselves. You say, man, what moved Paul forward in that reality? What motivated Paul to just leave a city being persecuted for the cause of Christ? And he turns around the very next week and he preaches the gospel and he shares his life and, he's, and he endures himself to these people that he hardly knows. Why does he do that? End of verse 8. Because, here's the reason, because you had become very dear to us. <laughs> you say, wait, he's only known these people two weeks, three weeks. No, but see, that's what the gospel does. You see, the gospel thrives in relationship. And what Paul is saying here is that the reason they had become very dear to them, this is a statement that is deeply rooted in the abundant, relentless love of God, that God shows us his love. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Do you realize that? While you were unlovable, in spite of what you've done in your sin, God loved you. He relentlessly pursued you. God did not come to you based off of how you looked and how you could present yourself and whether or not you were acceptable to him. The Bible says that while you were still sinners, Christ died for us in this is love not that we love God but that he loved us and sent his son you see the gospel is this news that God loves you that he, 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 he wants a relationship with you and notice what Paul is saying here he says the reason they become very dear to us is because of this relentless love of God look at me real quick here this morning this is the reason for everything missions this is the essence of of why we do missions. If we love God, we'll love people. If we don't love God, we won't love people. The Bible says that the love of Christ compels us. It moves us. Because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live to themselves but for him who died for them and was raised again. Listen to me, church. We've been talking about rhythm the last number of weeks and I'll summarize it with this. The world's rhythm 
is all about you marching to the beat of M-E. The world's rhythm is all about marching to the beat of me. But the gospel, as a Christian, that's not what we've been saved for. We're saved to march to a different rhythm. We should no longer live for ourselves, but for him who died and rose again. You see, what God's saying to you and I in the church today is missions is more than a message. Missions is more than what you say. Missions is about your life. It's about reordering your life and your priorities. You're taking the focus off of you, and you're putting the focus on others. Missions is about compassion. It's about obedience. It's about stewardship. It's about making disciples of all nations. It's about as you're going, make disciples. And so I just want you to look up here this morning, what we're about to do this week and, and how we're about to love on our mission staff and how we're just going to surround the archers this week with so much love and be moved and challenged in our response to that is because we love other people. It's because we love the people in Togo. We, we love the people in Togo, men and women, boys and girls, brothers and sisters in Christ that, that we, this side of eternity, won't meet. But one day, they'll be gathered around a throne saying, worthy is the Lamb. Missions is worth it. The gospel is worth it. Aren't you thankful the gospel came to you? Say amen. So will the love of Christ that came to you compel you to take the love of Christ to someone else? It matters in how we send, but, but hear me this week. It matters in how you live. You don't have to board a plane, go 12 hours around the world, to enter the mission field. The minute you walk out these doors, you're in the harvest fields. So let the truth of the gospel not be divorced from what we say, but, but, but may it embody our life. May it be connected to who we are. Missions is more than a message. May God help us to do that. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth of it. We thankful that we're thankful that in love you've come, you've given your life, Lord, so that we might have life. God, I pray you would forgive us for the moments where we make life about us and not about others. I don't know about you this morning, but but has the Spirit of God convicted your heart in any way? Has the Spirit of God convicted your heart about someone that you're not sharing with? Something that you're not saying? Maybe something that you're not doing? And, and by the grace of God, He's brought it to your attention today. Would you confess it? Would you forsake it? Would you find God's forgiveness to be sufficient today? And would you recommission your heart? To wanting to embrace the mission of God not just with your wallet not with your words but, but with your life people can look at your life and they can say wow that's a mission minded Christian look at the way they talk 
Look at the people they're pouring their life into. Look at the way they give. Life's not all about them. God, forgive us as a church if at any moment, Lord, we've made it about us and not about you. I pray that you would help us, God, that we would be refocused, recommitted to your assignment for this church in this generation. Lord, overwhelm us this week by your love. May your love compel us to pray, to go, to give, to serve. Lord, in every way, we ask that you would do a work. We ask that your spirit would do a mighty work in our hearts today, this week, for your glory. We ask it in Jesus' name. Everyone said, amen. Stand to your feet. Just a moment of personal, private response. Jessica's playing. I invite you right now. How has the Spirit of God spoke to you this morning? What has God said to you through the message today? Missions is personal. Missions is about every one of us in our obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ. Today, you don't have to give an answer to me or to the person you're sitting next to, but just right there in your seat, private moment, call out to the Lord. Is God pleased in your life today? Is God honored in your life? If not, man, find God's forgiveness to be full and abundant and take a new step. Begin today to experience a new joy. Father, we thank you this morning for what you've done in our hearts, what you've done in the service. In faith, we look forward to this week. We pray that, God, you would deepen our affections for you. We pray you would deepen our relationship, Lord, with the Archer family. And, Lord, as they'll be our keynote for the week, we just pray we would grow in our love for them, the call you have on their life and our church and Lord, the, the people that we will never meet, but Lord, help us this week to grow in our love for them. We'll give you praise for what you'll do here. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen.